Father God, we gather here today to proclaim your greatness, to sing your praises, for the sole reason that the breath that we have in our lungs is put there by your spirit, by your ruach, by your pneuma, this, this, this breath that we have been given, we use to praise you. Thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I remember having coffee with a, a pretty rough and tumble biker. Um, and we sat at a table together. And let me tell you, if you, if you uh, are a, a, a younger person and fairly clean cut and sitting in a Starbucks across from a dude that looks like he has been riding a motorcycle for 75 years, and that lifestyle is with him, you get some funny looks. But I remember sitting across from him, and he said, he said I, I love that you can sit up there and talk about this grace that brings forgiveness. He said, but what do you do with me? And I said, what do you mean? He said, I, all those Ten Commandments, I've broken every one of them. And I said, not every one of them, honestly fearing for my life a little bit. He said, no, every one of them. He said, the court called it manslaughter, but I still killed a man. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what I do with you is get a TRO. No, it, it was this, he was honestly crying out with, what do I do? Because he, he believed that what he heard about grace sounded really awesome. It sounded great for normal people. It sounded powerful for those that weren't that bad. But what he heard every time we preached it, and this was a guy that didn't come sporadically. He was there every single Sunday. And what he heard when we preached grace was that, not for me, not for me. Every time. And he would leave that place going, that sounds awesome, but I'm just too far gone. And I remember looking at him across the table and I said, do you believe in new life? Like, do you believe that you can have a brand new life? And he said, no. He said, it's foolish. He said, the idea that everything I did in the past can just be wiped away is foolish. And I remember in, in one of the most profoundly intelligent things I've ever said in my entire life, I looked at him and I went, I know. But see, that's the power of it. It's completely foolish. And then so I asked him, I almost said his name. I don't want to. I said, do you believe in the resurrection? He goes, no, it's foolish. People that are dead, stay dead. That's, and then I said, keep, keep going. He said, I hate Christianity for this reason. They asked me to check my brain at the door when I walk in their door. And they expect me to believe that somebody that was dead came back to life and showed up all over the world. And I said, well, I want to stop you. But what if he did? But, but what if all of those accounts are actual eyewitness accounts. They're not something, a big scandal and scheme that's made up. What if he did? And he goes, well, then I guess science is foolish. And I said, what if it's not? What if there doesn't have to be a war between religion and science? 
What if they can both live together in a way that we can say, I don't have any idea how this went down. But what I do know is that there is some kind of hope for new life in this gospel message. There is some kind of message that is wrapped up in this whole thing. Because here's, here's the bottom line. We base everything, everything, not some things, not part of the thing. We base everything in something so scientifically foolish that people can't embrace it. We base everything on the resurrection. The, the Bible wasn't written to talk about the resurrection. The Bible was written because of the resurrection. This is everything that we do hinges on the fact that he came back to life and conquered death. That death does not win. Everything we believe. So do you have to check your brain at the door when you walk in our door? I would say no. But what you might have to do is go, maybe. Because I'm pretty sure where science and religion meet, if we're honest, if we're intellectually honest about the two, they meet here. I don't know. But I'm willing to find out. I'm willing to explore. Right? Scientific fact scares me. Because the scientific facts have changed over the years. You know what else scares me? Biblical fact. That scares me too. Because that has also changed with culture. Some of these things that we, that we cling to, right? I'm looking around. I'm not seeing, except for Gibbons, uh, anyone uh, adhering to the Levitical law of not shaving. <laughs> Thanks for the example. Yesterday, yesterday, I had sushi, and I'm pretty sure I mixed all kinds of finned animals and non-finned animals. But yet, then we take parts of Leviticus, and we're like, well, this is still true today. So there's, there's biblical truth that has kind of evolved. There's scientific truth that has evolved, right? Because we used to, everything revolved around the earth for how long? And, and then the funny thing about science sometimes is it can be cyclical. The earth is flat. It's round. It's flat. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, we have these new people that are, maybe they're right. I don't know. But I think the ability to just go, I don't know, but I'm willing, I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to try it. And what I was trying to communicate to the spiker that was sitting across from me was that, are you willing to maybe believe that because death was conquered, new life can happen? And see, he always saw the resurrection as a physical thing. And I'm not saying it wasn't a physical thing, but I think the resurrection for us was also more than a physical thing. I think it was this illustration that, that new life happens when death occurs. When death occurs, it does not win. New life happens. So these scriptures that Paul writes about dying to ourselves so that we can be raised in Christ. And this, this thread throughout all of the scripture that says we have to die to who we are in order to really be raised up. All of these things. With, with death, because of the resurrection, comes new life. Not the same life kind of altered, but new life. I said this before, that God is not in the sin management business. He, he's not the one that wants to come alongside and teach you how to manage your sin. Here, if you just put it in this compartment, you'll be good. And you go about your business because you managed your sin. God is in the eradication of sin business. He's there to redeem you fully to create a holy and brand new individual. But some of us cannot hear it because we don't believe in resurrection. But the funny thing is we all believe in resuscitation. Right? Because it's science. There, there are people that flatline and then clear, and they're beating it, right? That, that, that's resuscitation. The, the, the fun thing about resuscitation is that always somebody else has to be involved in that. Resurrection, 
was just God doing God. And here's the other thing. Resuscitation still means it doesn't matter if you had a heart attack, flatline, you brought back back to life. Guess what? Someday you're still going to die. Resurrection means there is no death. So we, we, we are not a body of believers. The way the original Christianity was not a body of believers that believed that if we could just accept this idea that Jesus rose from the dead, forgiveness of our sins, all this stuff that goes along with that, if we can just believe that, then, then we'll live a better life until we die. Resurrection means you live a better life and you don't really die because our souls are eternal. And so we, we, we step into this idea that now we have become new creations. Now, now we are brand new. We have died to ourselves. We are resurrected. We are not resuscitated. We are resurrected and that this goes on forever. There's this new thing that's going on. The story that we have in scripture today, I'm not going to lie. When I read it on Monday, I was not excited. I, I went to staff meeting on Tuesday and I shared with Ben. I said, I am not excited. You know what he said? Me neither. <laughs> so what do you do with a scripture that comes up in the lectionary and you are committed to preach it because you believe that God has a word in that and that we've, he's already showed you that you're going to, and, and you're just not excited about it. It's probably one of those that you've maybe heard before, but I guarantee you didn't do a Bible study on it. Maybe you did. Maybe you went through Acts and it did come up. This is just, it was one of those stories that I just wasn't excited about it. And then this is what kind of happens in my life. Matt would call it a coincidence, but I call it a God thing. <laughs> I have a friend who pastors in Colorado of the Connections Church of the Nazarene. Um, and he posted a post. He also preached through the lectionary. He posted a post that I was like, oh, this is a good scripture. <laughs> And so it kind of shaped the way that I struggled, uh, that I went through it, and I wrestled with it, what the idea was around this. So I think, that, I think that where we're going is going to fit well. We're going to be in the book of Acts, which we will be until Pentecost. Uh, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Today's, today we've been talking about the unexpected acts of God. That, that's what we've been talking about in this series. And today is the unexpected alarm clock. The unexpected wake-up call. Have you, ever, have you ever been to a hotel? Becca, you have? I was going to say that gave out $100 bills. Oh, you should wait to raise your hand. <laughs> Especially when you're volunteering for things until you find out what you're volunteering for. You should always. Um, have you ever been to a hotel where you got that wake-up call that you didn't order? And it's the worst. Like, it really is. There's only one thing worse than getting a wake-up call you didn't order. Waking up two minutes before your alarm goes off. The worst things ever that can happen. Because I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll be dead asleep and that phone rings for the wake-up call and it scares the bejesus out of you and i don't know there's a couple reasons why for me because for me when a phone rings at an ungodly hour somebody died that's i mean that's where i go no matter what and so when, when i get woke up at 5 30 because the room next to me ordered a wake-up call and the person put it in the wrong thing and my phone rings i wake up and i am scared to death but i tell you one thing that it does it moves me to action there's never a time that that phone rings and I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to sleep through this. No, I jump up, I answer that phone, and they say, this is your courtesy wake-up call. And then I hang up angrily because <laughs> it's just a recording, so I can't, call, I can't talk to anybody. And I know the person that's on shift right now wasn't the same one that ordered the wake-up call. So Ben would just burn the whole place down. But I, I don't do that. I did, but, but, then, but then I'm up, right? You're up. And, and once, once I'm up, I'm up. 
I'm going to find something to do. I'm not going to go back to sleep, so I'm going to find something to do. We have this, this passage in Acts. It's right on the heels of last week we talked about this, this Paul experience, right? Where Paul was on, on his way to Damascus and everything kind of goes crazy and he gets blinded and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and so now we kind of shift from Paul and we start talking about Peter. Mary's coming later and we're going to sing songs. And um, Peter, Paul, and Mary was a group. <laughs> okay, I just didn't know. I heard one time, if you have to explain it, it's not worth telling, but we're going to be in chapter, in verse 32 of chapter nine. What do I have there? All right, we'll be in 36. Oh, because we're going to go back to 32. Don't worry, we'll get there. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. I'm going to stop right there because it's one of my favorite parts. The only time that this word disciple is used in the feminine in all of scripture. You know what that means? Tabitha was a pastor. She wasn't just some, some lady that was walking around. She was a pastor. She, the same word that is used to talk about Peter, Paul, Mary, not Mary though, John, all, all of the other disciples or apostles. This is the same exact word. It's just got a feminine ending on it. So it, it's just, it's a really cool thing to me for those that when you, when you hear people say women pastors are not biblical. Well, someone didn't tell Luke because he didn't get the memo. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which in Aramaic, best name ever, Dorcas. <laughs> we have a pastor on the district whose wife's name is Dorcas. And whenever they introduce them, the youth pastor in me just wants to giggle. And I know that's not okay, so I have to suppress it. She was always doing good. And he was always, always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she came sick and died, and her body was washed in place in the upstairs room. Lita was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lita, they sent to two men to him to urge him to please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing, that, seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers into the widows and, uh, and the widows and presented, them, presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people became, or believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. It's foolish. She was dead. What, why do we have a, a crazy story of Peter bringing this woman back to life? And why, why does Peter bring her back to life? There were a lot. Why didn't someone show up and bring Stephen back to life when he was stoned to death? What, why Tabitha? Why, why does this lady get Peter to come and then he just he brings her back to life? By, it says that he went on his knees and prayed. We don't even know what he prayed. Wouldn't that be helpful? Like, because maybe I want to bring someone back to life. So if I know the prayer. See, at this time, there were these magic healers that would go around and they would do these incantations and they would sell their snake oil. and They would do these things, these massive, big ceremonies. And they would, they, they would bring in people with them. And kind of like a magician show where they always say, I've never met you before, right? And you're like, no. no. Went, yeah, I've seen you in three shows together. 
but they, they would bring someone that was dead with them and they would bring them back to life. And so they would have these huge incantations. So one of the things that Peter does here is purposely tell everyone to leave the room and doesn't do a big incantation. He doesn't want it to be just another one of those, the, the people that are roaming around and like bringing people back to life and doing all this magic. He separates himself immediately from all of that. So he goes in, he just drops to his knees. And what did he say? We don't know. But what we're told is that you can only do these things in the name of Jesus. So why wouldn't Peter say in the name of Jesus? He does. It just says that he prays and then he says, get up. That's all we get. Now here's where I said 32. It's not up there. Don't worry. Okay. In verse 32, we have the account of what happens just before this. So immediately prior to this thing, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lida. There he found a man named that guy. We'll call him Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. So in this case, he says, Jesus Christ heals you. He does it. But remember now, there are people all around right now. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Take care of your mat. Immediately, he got up. All those who lived in Lida and in Sharon, they were flooded because the sprinkler system was broken, <laughs> saw him and turned to the Lord. In one instance, we have this case where Peter looks and says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. This one's a little bit easier to understand. Maybe he wasn't really, maybe he was just sitting too long and his legs were asleep. Because see, here's, here, here's, here's the thing is we, we, we hear these arguments of, of this can't physically happen. And you're right, it cannot physically happen. I, I don't know how these things took place. I don't know how Peter was able to do these things. But in this case, when there are people around, he said, in Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up, be healed, and make your bed. So there's this call to wake up and do something. Wake up and do something. And it says, because of that, all these people heard of it. They, they were all there. They witnessed it. And there was somehow this glory to God. There was somehow this, this almost act. Peter healing this individual was almost an act of worship. And so in the midst of doing that, there was glory brought to God. And we have this case of Tabitha, which is a little bit different. Peter, he clears the room. And he doesn't verbally say, in the name of Jesus Christ, Tabitha, get up. But we don't know what he prayed we don't know in his silent prayer if he's prayed in Jesus' name. And then he says, amen. Tabitha, get up. But here's the important thing. In both cases, it's resurrection. One from the dead and one from being a quadriplegic. It's still resurrection. There's still new life given. There's still this amazing thing that happens. And what it's tied to is both instances are about giving glory to God. What happened in Joppa after it happened? All these people heard about it. And they all came and they became part of the way. There, there was glory given to God. It was an act of worship. As Peter prayed and told her to get up, it was an act of worship. There was glory brought to God. Jess preached last week on Paul. This amazing thing when Paul is on the way to kill a bunch of Christians and God gets a hold of him, blinds him, 
and then says, get up and go meet. Right? There's this get up and go, this theme that stays with it. Believe it, Paul was resurrection. When he was Saul, he was, he was a different person. When he woke up and he could see again and he became Paul, everything changed. Not just, not just we get more of the Bible now because Paul's around. Everything in the faith changed. The faith moved out of Jerusalem for the first time ever. The, the, the idea was always to get it out of Jerusalem. But his original disciples were staying there. Well, we're in Jerusalem. We're good here. But Paul goes. He immediately get up and go. He tells, he tells Annas, get up and make your bed. Get your mat. He tells Tabitha, get up. Come on. There's this, there's this shocking alarm that goes off when we become followers of Christ. When we embrace resurrection, that something happens when grace is not small, when your sin is not too big, when the obstacles in your life are not dominating, when your God is not too small to win the battle, when God is actually big enough to bring you through whatever you're going through. The, the, the coolest thing about the lectionary is there's also a psalm attached to it. You know what today's psalm was? Psalm 23. And as I'm looking at this story of Tabitha being got up, being brought back to life, be, be, she was dead. And then I'm thinking at Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And then I got to thinking about the context of Mother's Day. And all of the people that, Tab, Tabitha didn't have any biological children, but all of the widows were there. And, and I love this illustration that Luke does where he says they were all showing Peter the garments that she had made them. Now, the funny thing in America, we think they must have had suitcases or trash bags. They're like, look at everything. But in reality, they're probably like, she made me this robe. She made me this dress. It's the only clothing I have. And this lady made it for me. And we have all these amazing images of this great stuff that's going on. And in the midst of it, Peter walks up and demands, get up and go do. Because when we experience resurrection, the next thing we have to do is get up. Can you imagine how different the Easter story would be if when the two disciples ran to the tomb and they looked in and Jesus was just sitting there? I was wondering when you guys were going to get here. <laughs> get up and go. Jesus didn't hang out in the tomb when he came back to life. He went out and did. And then they saw him and they, they, they begin to recognize him. And the first thing he does after he meets Mary, on the, he goes and shows up in the locked room of the disciples that are all scared to death. And he shows up and he says, peace be with you. He does. And he begins to pour into their lives because the resurrection breeds new life, which then causes us to get up and go. Sometimes it is an annoying wake-up call that you didn't order. I've sat across the table from so many people that I share, tell me your story. And their story goes like, man, I was just living my life. And all of a sudden, everything went to pot. That's okie for everything went bad. <laughs> everything went bad. And then all of a sudden, this crazy thing happened. I've heard stories where the crazy thing is this, where they're in a hotel room and they open up the drawer, they pull out a Gideon Bible and they begin to read it. And the voice of God becomes so real to them that they fall on their face. Resurrection. Death. Resurrection. 
I, I, I've heard it to where uh, someone's walking across the street or across the campus and somebody says hello to them and they stop them and they say, why'd you say that? It's resurrection right there. He's gone. He just wants some crayons, mom. I was walking across campus in Missouri and my head down like normal. Some of you have heard this story before. I don't, I don't talk to strangers. Not because I'm afraid, but because they're people. Um, normally, I head down, make eye contact, someone might say hello. I looked up at this young man and I said, hey, how's it going? And he stops. He said, why'd you do that? I said, honestly, I don't know because I would not normally do that. He said, you know what? Last night, I said, I'm going to walk across campus and if nobody acknowledges me or says, how are you doing? I'm going to kill myself tonight. Resurrection, death, resurrection. His life was changed forever. It was like something beyond himself cared enough to have these paths cross. There are so many different stories of what resurrection looks like. So many different opportunities for Jesus to come in and radically transform lives. It doesn't take on the road to Damascus for us to be blinded and then have someone pray and the scales fall off our eyes. Sometimes the stories are that great. Some people, it's just like, well, somebody invited me to church one time and this dude was talking about grace and I am horrible. I was depressed. I was, I was angry. I was mad. I just, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't. And then all of a sudden he said, does anyone want to pray? And I prayed and it was like, what? I didn't expect the alarm to go off. There's some great stories of, of people that were, would call themselves non-believers or atheists or agnostic, whatever you want to call it. They, they would say that they would not embrace this message. And then one day they heard it for the first time. They'd heard it a hundred times. But it was like this time God got a hold of them in just the right place and it completely changed them. We have this example that changed the entire course of history in a physical resurrection. But I'm here to tell you it's more than that. It's so much more than a physical resurrection. If you can't wrap your mind around a physical resurrection, if you can't, if you can't get to the place where in your brain, resurrection, it cannot happen. Can I challenge you to just do this for today? Wrap your mind around the fact that new life is given in different ways all the time. Resurrection takes place all the time. Dead things come back to life all the time. Relatives that you've known for years and have been going down a road that you just know is darkness come back. Resurrection. The story of the prodigal son. Resurrection. These, these stories that we have, these are all resurrection-based stories. These are things that were gone and now they are here. They are dead and now they are alive. The story of Tabitha. Get up! Like literal resuscitation. But she is now back to life. The story of the, uh, of the quadriplegic, the paraplegic. Get up. The story of Paul. Get up and go. All of these things. But here's the thing. Resurrection takes place everywhere and all the time. But in every instance of resurrection, there's always an alarm. There's always a wake up. And there's always a response. Sometimes we don't believe in resurrection because we haven't embraced resurrection. So often we live with feet in both sides of the line. 
you cannot resurrect a live person. Jen, in all your career, have you ever got the paddles out for someone that was alive? You don't do it. It'd be kind of funny. <laughs> she said it wouldn't. She said no, it wouldn't. <laughs> I disagree. I think that <laughs> there could be an element that it... Uh, anyway. you, you, don't, you don't bring that out unless someone is dead. You can't live in both worlds. You can't live in your yesterday but want tomorrow. You have to live today. Right now. May 12th. Today. You live in the moment right now today and resurrection can happen. Because here's what happened. If you keep saying, I kind of want it. It sounds interesting. Grace seems like something I can embrace. It's, it's okay. And over here, Jesus is saying, get up and go. And you're like, yeah, I kind of want to. Maybe. But then some of us, we're over here and Jesus hasn't called us to do anything. But we know better. We got a plan. My plan, Jesus, catch up. <laughs> I'm doing stuff over here and you're way over there. We tend to live in either the past or the future and we forget that the only thing that is right now is present. We are here right now. Every decision we make is right now. We make a decision now. We don't have to make decisions for tomorrow. Matthew wrote an entire passage of scripture about tomorrow worrying about itself. All we have to do is make our decision right now. And then when another decision comes up, you can make that decision. But don't think about that decision. Make this decision. This goes with everything. And this is how resurrection happens. If they hadn't got up, they wouldn't be in the book. I mean, can you imagine? Tabitha's like, no, I'm good. Lazarus, no, I'm good. Lazarus, come out of the tomb. No. <laughs> Best nap I've ever had. There's an element of going and doing. And so, but these decisions happen right now. Think about the fact that, the, 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 oh, I'm so mad at the lectionary for not going and, and, and skipping a, a chapter because this next verse that comes up, this next chapter, chapter 10, we find out that Peter stayed in Joppa. Okay, here's what's cool about Joppa. Anyway, I'm going to theological nerd on you for a second. <laughs> Joppa is where Jonah was from, the prophet Jonah. What did Jonah do? Jonah took the message of God to a bunch of Gentiles that hit people with fish. If you don't believe me, you watch a veggie tale. It'll teach you things. <laughs> he, he took this message of God, Yahweh, to a country that didn't know anything about Yahweh. So who is Peter? Oh, Simon, son of Jonah. He's in Joppa right now. And what is he about to do in the next chapter? He is about to go to Cornelius' house a Gentile, and experience what is called the Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is going to descend in a room of people that should not have the Holy Spirit because they're Gentiles. Peter had a dream. Most of us have had this dream where you get to eat bacon. All of this food came down and Peter says, the Lord says, eat of this food. And Peter says, I can't eat of this food. This food's unclean. I am a clean person. And God says, 
in the book of hesitations. <laughs> Bacon's good. Eat the bacon. It's why the, it's the only meat Ellis will eat. Because he knows. So Peter wakes up from the dream. Now, Peter could have totally not told anyone about this dream. But one thing we learn from the Bible is when you have a dream, you tell everyone whether it gets you killed or not. I mean, Joseph had dreams he probably should have kept to himself. <laughs> Telling your older brothers they're going to bow down to you is never going to get you friends. Peter says, I have to go to the house of Cornelius. Why? Because I had a dream. He walks into the house of Gentiles where he shouldn't be. And the Holy Spirit descends on them just as it does to the disciples in Pentecost. He didn't have to go. Can you imagine if Peter would have said, gosh, if I go in a week's time, this thing's going to be out of control. If he would have said, but I was raised this way. No, Peter was right there, right then. You know why? Because Peter in the moment denied Christ three times. Peter in the moment went outside the gates and wept. He knew what it was to live right now. He made that decision. He didn't make the decision of what was going to happen when he got to Cornelius' house. He made the decision to go to Cornelius' house. The idea of resurrection means that you are willing to accept the wake-up call right now. Make this decision. Don't make the next five decisions. Don't play in your mind what it's going to look like if you do this, if you do this. I'm telling you, I go into every argument, I already won it. Because I've already had it. Seven times. I know exactly what you're going to say. And when you don't, it really messes with me. <laughs> there have been times that I have been ready to apologize knowing 